All right, welcome back, everybody. This is the Faultline Podcast. My name is Alex Davis. I'm the host. We're joined, of course, by editor Tommy Flanagan. Hello. And my esteemed colleague, Rafi Cohen. Hello. And this is accompanying Faultline 898. And we are, we are two editions away from the 900. And a very special episode that we're only slightly teasing now, which, uh, yeah, should, should be fun. A bit of IRL uh, podcasting. Um, but no, uh, <laughs> I, I've been in the lurch this week. I've been moving in between projects and... It's always a, always a bit messy trying to get your head down and, and work it. But how's it been in, in the news world, Tommy, in, in the world of Faultline? A little bit slow, but we had a few um, good interviews in, in Faultline this week and some interesting things. I did one with, um, well, for anyone who listened to uh, last week's podcast, well, the entirety of last week's podcast, right to the end, you'll know that I was hoping to get a company called Agile Content on the phone to kind of dissect its recent acquisition spree, having bought uh, the CDN vendor Edgeware just before before the new year, um, followed by the Wi-Fi offload company Fon. And then last week it bought an Android TV R&D specialist called WeTech. That's for the few, very few people who uh, I expect didn't listen to the uh, end of the uh, podcast. So uh, you'll be pleased to know that I successfully uh, nailed Johan Bollin down for a call, who I've known for a while from Edgeware, and he's now the uh, CTO of agile content he walked me through the strategy and this is probably best summarized as kind of consolidating the technology stack which is something we've um, been covering a lot and it's a it's a, a common theme in fault line and this is all about bringing in uh, these these uh, added value added products that kind of creates this modular environment in a in a tv technology stack where operators can they can pick and choose these modules or go with the full tv service proposition uh, which is called Agile TV, which can either be white labeled or um, or not. And uh, I think the key point is that because Agile content is this B2B to C platform in that its own technology supports its own consumer facing platform in Agile TV. Um, so to use uh, Johan's words, Agile content eats its own dog food. And he sees that as a strength of the company because it shows it's confident in how the technology works. It's going, not going to cut any corners when it's lacing it to operators. Um, so uh, looking at the, the latest purchase with WeTech, which was only last week, this is a company that has some set up hardware assets and also dabbles in delivering TV services to the hospitality sector. But these two businesses are really kind of secondary to the Android TV device management, which is the real pull for agile content and the striking the deal. Um, and, and we know from recent conversations with people in the industry that uh, uh, device management capabilities uh, specifically for Android TV are really in quite uh, high demand. And so by device management, we can mean things from controlling devices remotely and providing remote assistance to monitoring network functions and delivering bug reports to audience profiling and behavior prediction. So device management is quite a vague term and therefore it can be quite um, broad with some, but it can have some pretty major um, cost saving um, possibilities for customers when it's done right. And that's not just across the the in-app experiences where all the action is happening, but but with tools that can analyze the hardware and the firmware too, um, which is quite important. And um, Johan described uh, Android TV as a fantastic technology, which a lot of people do, a lot of CTOs do, 
but he did speak about difficulties with uh, device management at a higher level where things can get tricky when navigating countless apps and menus across various devices and that's that's why these capabilities are, are so great and it was interesting actually that he compared agile content to a Swedish TV platform called Magin, which um, went out of uh, business a couple of years ago. We used to cover um, that company quite a lot. We followed them quite keenly. And it was a, a company that started out in, in quite a similar way, but in the op opposite direction. It went from B2C to B2B while Agile Content is doing it the other way around, which apparently puts in a stronger position because it can take on more of a, a modular shape um, in the in the CTO's view rather than being uh, everything being really tightly integrated and um, and therefore a, a core strength in this strategy is that it doesn't have to ask customers to replace everything which is I think is a, a really uh, key component component of the, the whole stack um, so Last week, I also um, uh, mentioned the the uh, acquisition of Fon as um, almost an anomaly in the in the acquisition strategy because it doesn't it doesn't fit. But I'm glad I got to clear this up with uh, Johan this week, and he agreed that on paper the business offering of Fon doesn't match Agile contents. This is Wi-Fi and um, content essentially but the idea is that um the business model fits in really well and this comes from this apparently very impressive back-end device management and extremely efficient uh, billing system that um fon has developed which specializes in areas like contractual agreements and terms and conditions and bundling it's not all kind of not very sexy things at all but these are quite necessary things particularly if you're playing this strategic long game like agile content is so because fon is supported in most gateways around the world this established base of cpe can be harnessed to monitor qoe over time for video and agile content plans to eventually use that data to mitigate the number of wi-fi problems related to qoe and offer that as part of the stack and but that's a that's a work in progress they've got an unnamed um customer that they're working with but they can't talk about it at the moment so um there you have it it's all fitting together quite nicely by the by the sounds of it but it's all very early stages in the modular stack integration pro process and that's three acquisitions in seven months so um yeah a lot of integration to be done but but a really interesting company we didn't this time last year no one had heard of them but yeah doing some cool things yeah um, whenever we hear about modular like businesses i'm always interested in like leaving a little bookmark for myself and coming back in four years and seeing which modules got got binned um mm -hmm. but no the, the fun stuff yeah interesting QOE as a service, I guess. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks very much, Tommy. Uh, we'll Thank move you. on now to our, our second piece. This comes from Rafi, of course. So one 4K movie a month, AT&T throws unlimited breadcrumbs. So Rafi, could you tell us more, please? Yeah, sure. So um, it's another case of uh, a mobile operator using the word unlimited, which seems to mean everything and nothing at the same time. Um, it, we'll, we'll try and rewrite the dictionary on the, on the term or the definition of the term. Um, and this time AT&T have tried to expand what, they, what they're calling unlimited with their unlimited elite wireless package. Uh, customers of that previously had an 100 gigabyte soft cap and anything above 100 gigabytes that was used, your data speed would maybe be compromised depending on where you were. And they also had a hard cap on hotspot usage, which was 30 gigs. And now unlimited is going to be no soft cap on, uh, on normal handset usage and Instead, you know, and the hard cap on hotspot usage has grown from 30 gigs to 40 gigs. 
And the other big thing that AT&T are trying to push is now finally you've got enough data uh, for us to permit you to do 4K streaming on your mobile, which who on earth is going to want to watch a 4K thing on a tiny phone screen anyway? And there's more problems with that, which I'll get onto in a second. Um, but yeah, it's just a, another case of mobile network operators promising a premium service, the best they can deliver. And then it turns out it's absolute, uh, yeah, bullshit, <laughs> like a year later, essentially. Um, and usually they will always uh, raise prices when doing this. But AT&T has kind of, I guess, saved some criticism from us because this time it hasn't raised prices. It's just still ridiculously expensive. Uh, the unlimited elite wireless package is $85 per month for a single user. Or you can get if you get a five line bundle, then you can get forty five dollars per line per month. Um, but yeah, the, the thing that was really jarring about this was the the promise of four K. They were like, all right, we've expanded it, and now you know you can watch as much as you want of the highest quality video available. And as I said before, why on earth would you watch four K on a phone, even if you watch it on a very pretty good size big TV? You're not really going to notice the difference, or most people wouldn't really notice the difference between four K and uh, HD if it's a, a good piece of content that you're watching. Um, so then what you'd have to do is with your phone is you have to hotspot to a larger screen uh, in order to get the benefits of 4K. And that's where this uh, new increased and very generous 40 gigabyte cap comes in on hotspot usage. Uh, so I looked up how much is 4K, to, uh, what roughly is the kind of data use of 4K. Uh, the rural internet provider Evdo said 4K is about 223 megabits per minute or 14 gigabytes per hour. So if you're using a hotspot, uh, you know, say you want to watch a film in 4K and you're hotspotting your TV or whatever, you only have enough data for just under three hours a month, which is basically one feature film and not even something like Lord of the Rings. Um, and so maybe you could maybe you could cast instead. We didn't actually manage to get clarification from AT&T whether, you know, Chromecast counts as a kind of hotspotting thing or not. Um, but even if it is allowed, uh, casting often kind of muddies the streaming quality anyway and i highly doubt that a 4k stream would really look 4k if you're casting from your phone um and as we know and like a whole nother point is that while they're trying to be like now you can watch as much 4k as you want um you know we know from rethink tv stuff especially our transcoding forecast that most of the industry is expecting consumer demand for 4k to be incredibly slow um we know that because vvc the rollout of the vvc codec hinges on it it's the only reason it's really going to be used and even by 2030 we expect vvc which is the main codec for 4k only to be around 11 percent of the transcoding workflow workload sorry uh, and even that won't even take off and make any dent until 2023. So we're still two years off really any kind of 4K codecs really being used. And already they're trying to shove in people's faces being like, here, have this, have this. You want it, don't you? Um, and then even looking at AT&T's own uh, content offerings, HBO Max doesn't have much 4K. So I'm really not sure what people are going to watch on and what they're going to watch. Um, and of course, this uh, kind of pseudo generosity isn't really out of the blue. Uh, T-Mobile announced a similar offer back in February, Magenta Max, which is even better in a way because the uh, the cap on hotspot usage is soft, not hard. So all it means is that if you go above is 30 or 40 gigs, I can't remember, you can still keep on hotspotting. It just might be slightly worse uh, quality. And then also there's pressure from Biden, who's looking to reduce prices from the telco giants and by them not raising the prices on this round of upgrades, uh, they maybe have a leg to stand on whenever executive action comes. Yeah, uh, strange. Um, I can imagine. I mean, what would be interesting is the power usage of the phone when it's outputting 
the hot the Wi-Fi hotspot for a 4K uh, 4K stream to the television. Um, I wonder if your phone would make it through a, a three-hour three-hour movie. Um, yeah, mess. Um, cool. <laughs> yeah, not much to add really there, Rafi. I think you rattled through uh, that one quite nicely. So thanks very much. Uh, we'll we'll jump on to the final uh, of the long form pieces. Um, I spoke to a company called Remote My App uh, this week, who plan an expansion after DT Cloud Gaming deal. Um, so yeah, cloud gaming. Um, it's sort of under my my remit. I've been looking at the smart home as well um, for similar reasons. Uh, we're sort of trying to scope out. Uh, what operators um, are going to turn to uh, in this era of cord cutting and, and sort of declining ARPUs. Um, and of course, gaming has been something that they've they've tried to do in the past. Um, and it's not it's not really worked very well for them. And this was something that um, uh, CEO Andreas Hestbeck uh, brought up um, in, in basically the introduction. Um, he said it was a, a tough nut to crack and no one had actually cracked it yet. And uh, that led to me having a little rant about, you know, crappy mobile games played on set-top controllers and no one, you know, wanting to pay for it. It's a nice to have, but no one's actually going to sign up for it. Um, and he sort of talked us through the sort of background um, of the companies because, of course, uh, the, the sort of last couple of years has been a fairly large change in the sort of overall quality of the wireless network. So actually being able to stream videos to mobile devices, um, the LTE improvements have sort of come come to the fore. And then with 5G around the corner, of course, um, you should have a lot more throughput there uh, and less latency, which leads you to a, a sort of better experience. Um, and then also the the sort of operators are like, the, there's been a bit of a shift in, in thinking. Um, so the Deutsche Telekom deal um, was essentially a white label um, where Remote My App, um, are providing all of the sort of back-end software and equipment um, and Deutsche Telekom are going to host it in their own sort of data centers and then they're, they're sort of white labeling the service as Magenta Gaming um, and Deutsche Telekom obviously like it because um, they've invested 2 million euro uh, into the firm which is uh, based in, in Poland. Um, so yeah, the sort of the, the shift has kind of shown signs of taking off um this came of course after we wrote about wiz tv providing something similar for orange um in france um but on the sort of side there's also the likes of google stadia and microsoft's uh xbox streaming service Th those are all sort of coming to the fore in the direct -to consumer world so um even if the operators want to push this um to customers they've they've got this sort of um direct -to consumer uh, rival there but the benefit according to Hespec for the operators is that because they can sort of natively uh, install this stuff within their own networks they should be able to provide a sort of noticeably better um, experience to customers um, they've also got all of that integrated quality of experience quality of service um, sort of tools hardware and analytics to take advantage of um, which the likes of google and microsoft aren't going to have so much because they are essentially guests or tenants on you know, Deutsche Telekom's network, uh, for example. Um, and then, of course, that fed into a bit of a discussion about, um, you know, the longevity of this kind of thing, because, I mean, we've, we've recently put out our sort of set-top operating system, forecast and rethink TV, and, of course, the central point there is that the number of set-tops in the world uh, are, are falling, so um, 
they're they're an expense they're a burden you don't want to be putting uh you know console grade graphics cards in them to to play on that that doesn't sound very sensible so streaming uh the sort of throughput to them while you're rendering it in the cloud that's obviously uh a much more efficient uh use of resources um but this is a functionality that's going to move from the set top and into the smart tv um and of course you'll have like a dedicated controller uh, bundled with you know the first few months of the uh, the service might pay a little upfront free fee um but the sort of shift to the sort of smart tvs makes a lot of sense um so that sort of shift um it's all it's all kind of a bit cyclical um but we, we sort of thought that this was going to happen a lot earlier and it's just taken a lot longer so general moaning um from for me and a little bit from hespec as well um but the sort of background here was that remote my app launched um with a sort of it was a bring your own service is, is how it's described and it was a way for you to stream your own video games from your own home to your own phone um, and then that evolved after a bit of funding into streaming uh, games you didn't own um, from the cloud to your phone uh, and then, of course, that led to the sort of white labeling and their direct to consumer offering. They they sort of took the focus off it to make sure they nailed the magenta um, version. Um, and now they're sort of shifting back to um, kind of renewed focus on the consumer stuff. Um, so they kind of uh, push that a little further. But they're they're hoping for more deals with um, tier ones. But there's also an opportunity for tier two and tier threes, um, says Hespec. You just have to be able to sort of approach it right. Um, frame it uh, correctly for them and reselling is is pretty handy anyway reselling their vortex.gg platform um so yeah it was it was a cool chat and another um, sort of look behind the curtain in terms of a bit of detail about data centers and equipment and installations and operator attitudes um so yeah uh still think there's a big old opportunity there but i thought that about the smart home and um the operators are kind of uh, whiffed uh, on that on that sort of front so uh yeah there we are that's the end of the long form content um we'll dive to the uh, worth noting section now and as is tradition rafi five years ago uh what was happening um well i feel silly saying this about something that was five years ago but i definitely got some sense of deja vu with this one just of how many times this kind of story has happened but um the european commission slapped google with another wave of antitrust allegations um, this time it was about Google's dominant 80% share of the advertising market and the accusation was that it was restricting placement of ads for its competitors uh, primarily through AdSense which is its self-service ad placement technology that uh, places ads on third-party websites but uh, the Google search engine was also getting a look in because there were suspicions that it was prioritizing search results for its own shopping services while restricting the likes of Amazon and eBay uh, this event, even though this was in 2016, it only resulted in a $1.7 billion fine in March 2019. So that's a three-year <laughs> three run-up. Um, and we're now around all total European Commission fines totaling around $10 billion, um, which really goes to show some things never change. Yep, it's a... Uh... It's only a fine uh, if you're too poor to afford to pay it. And uh, I, think, I think Google's got fairly deep pockets. Uh, so, yeah, maybe slap another zero on it next time. <laughs> cool. Uh, Tommy, any other highlights in worth noting? Yeah, one deal um, uh, worth noting 
that I think is particularly topical and poignant is that um, uh, online chat platform Discord uh, is acquiring a company called Centropy that develops AI based software to detect and remove abusive online comments, which, as we all know from the, the news this week, is something I think we need more of. Um, but something that I actually I didn't put in. Uh, worth noting but it really rubbed me out the wrong way this week, week and I wanted to mention I know it doesn't take take much to piss me off but um, I've got a bone to pick with uh, PwC which published another of its annual entertainment oh, yeah. and media industry reports which I only noticed for the first time ever this year I've never never acknowledged them but the point is uh, when did we stop calling it media and entertainment and start calling it entertainment and media has really irked me it's the M&E industry stop turning yeah trying to change stuff that's not broken and then of course all the usual news outlets regurgitated entertainment and media instead of switching it around to the way it should be media and entertainment but there we go i'm not sure why you trust a company like pwc with so many fingers and so many pies anyway but um there we go that's a quick worth noting rant yeah i'm, I'm a fairly big stickler for nomenclature so yeah, <laughs> that, that bugged me as well i also think the numbers um quite small um but I, that's on my list of things to go look at. <laughs> I didn't get past the headline. That was enough no. for me. <laughs> well, other things I need to go look at. Um, just Disney um, reckons that $60 million of the $215 million that Black Widow took on the opening weekend came from uh, ticket sales in Disney+. Plus. So this is households paying $30 to watch it. Uh, that would mean that 2 million people um, paid the $30 fee. Um, as well as, of course, the the monthly cost of that, um, and that kind of suggests that this this sort of split distribution model has like a, a future. It's probably here to stay. Um, and Rethink TV, we're hoping, will look at cinema at, at some point. Um, but yeah, if if COVID doesn't kill them, then being able to stream it from home, uh, it's not going to do much favors either. Um, so yeah, it, the, the writing here, I guess, is does Disney ever stop doing it? And I think if they're making $60 million that they might not at the cinema, then it'd be dumb to try and try and stop doing it that way. I think so. Yeah. Cool. All right, then. Thank you very much, everybody. That was fault line 898. If you, you want to, um, sort of take a look, head to the website. I realize I've cut Tommy off, so we'll circle back, I promise. But um, yeah, 898, we're all done. Four week free trials on the website. But Tommy, 899, do we have anything lined up? Oh, the penultimate. Um, yes, we've got uh, an interview in the diary with LivePeer. Uh, we've we've covered LivePeer a few times, and this is a company that uh, operates in the kind of controversial area of decentralized networks. And I understand that the LivePeer network kind of specializes in ABR video transcoding particularly but it kind of it does much more than that and it wants to make use of gpu processing for things like scene classification and object recognition song title detection video fingerprinting and even uh, video stack expansion so yeah really looking forward to talking to them for the for the first time it'd be interesting to hear what the crypto crash has done to the available <laughs> processing nodes um, that'd be sweet yeah all right then well we'll see you next week for 899 um head to the website leave us a review and whatnot if you've got any juicy goss um please reach out give us an email um it's always fun getting some tips um but for that we'll uh we'll see you next week bye bye cheers then see ya